Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. We're going to be talking about that next four weeks, and and uh, I'm gonna. I titled this first message here. Uh, first fruits, and I'm dealing with something that's a really a foundational issue when it comes to money and riches and all that stuff, and uh, it's it's really worship is kind of what we're addressing this morning with first fruits and where that lies in our lives, a sense of worship or devotion or service. Uh, and in order to do that, I'm going to approach this differently than ever have in the past. I'm going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. Um, so in order for that to happen, I need to define what the word mammon, what is that? And you'll see this word used in Matthew and Luke, both basically in the same verses. Luke in three, three times, he's the physician. He felt he had to expand. Um, maybe it was his education. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll deal with first Matthew chapter six, verse 24 it says this. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Remember, these are Jesus' words. And notice he begins this passage with no one. You need to take notice of that. That's very important that you understand and see those two words, no one, because it's emphasized like that, that no one person can serve two masters. Now, let's look at Luke 16. We're going to see again, this is the same uh, sermon in essence. Uh, Verse 9 through 13, it says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. There's a couple verses in here that I'll explain later because if you were like me, you maybe you've read them and then you scratched your head thinking, I don't know what that's all about. I can't, I don't get that. Right over my head, Jesus. You know, you're a smart guy. I know that, but you got me this time. So you just kind of move on. You ever been there? A lot of passages like that. Yeah. So we'll hopefully clear up some of that. Uh, But this is such an important passage of scripture that we need to understand what mammon is because it's the only thing that Jesus said that you can't serve God in this. Nowhere else in Scripture does it say that. So I think that's pretty important to pay attention to that. we got to figure out what's going on here. Uh, Matthew 4, now when it comes to worship, let's, let's tie this in because this is huge. Now Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, there is recorded his last and final temptation from the devil. It says, the devil took him to an exceedingly high place and showed him, the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'm going to give you this if you'll just bow down and worship me. In other words, take a shortcut. 
Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it. He said in Matthew 4, 10, we'll put it up here. It says, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only him shall you serve. Notice that service follows worship. Whatever you worship, whatever you're devoted to, you end up serving. And yet, and Jesus is saying you can't serve or worship or be devoted to two masters. It's either God or mammon. So you see how that ties in here? There's something really foundational that we need to understand when it comes to our devotion, our allegiance. Um, so what is mammon? Well, we need to define that so we can see how this ties in. If Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, what is mammon? Thank you for asking. We'll look at that. First of all, mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches. Most uh, people think mammon refers to money, and I wouldn't argue that. It does, although I, Jesus, I think Jesus ref was referring to much more than that. Mammon is, was not only an Aramaic word that means riches, but it, it came from the Assyrian god of riches. Now you notice the Assyrian god. Now you've got demon gods inserting into the picture here. That's where worship and service and devotion come into because they will demand your service and worship. Okay, that's where that comes in. And that came from Babylon of all places, the city of Babylon. Now, you could break that down to babble on, right? That person's just babbling on, right? Like right now, you kind of might think I'm just babbling on, but I'm not. I'm going somewhere with this. The word babble means confusion. Babylon came from the Tower of Babel. You can read about that in Genesis if you haven't. It's really a great story. You should read through it and find out what that's all about. But that's where God confused their language of the people. And the reason why he did that is because they were trying to build a tower to heaven. And so God, it says, actually, Babylon actually means sown or planted in confusion. Right? The city has its root in confusion. But if you remember, the tower was being built. Um, they were building this tower to heaven on their own. It was their, their own efforts they were going to build their own system to get to heaven. Uh, that's a picture of what this world does, what religion does. I will religion, I will be a part of a religion that will work its way and make itself acceptable so I can work my way to heaven. There's lots of ways that mankind has tried to make himself uh, by his own system acceptable to heaven or God. And that's what you see out of the Tower of Babel. And God, of course, came down and confused all that. Because that represents prideful, arrogant spirit of humanity that says, I don't need God, I can do it on my own. And that's where you get the spirit of mammon, because I can trust in this resource to protect me and to provide for me and to get me what I need and work where I want to go rather than God. And therefore you see this, Jesus says, wait a minute, you can't serve that and that at the same time. You can't worship this. And devotions have to fall in one or the other place. And so Jesus was... Sending out a stern warning. So this mammon is a spirit behind any sin or perversion, actually, of every kind is an evil spirit working. Don't have time to get into all that, but that's how it works. The enemy's out there tempting, and he's pressing and pushing. And So here you have Jesus. He's referring to these false god of riches that demand worship and service. The Assyrians... The Syrian false god of riches. Mammon is a spirit in the sense that rests on money. Let me put it this way. Money will either uh, have the spirit of mammon on it or it will have the spirit of God on it. One or two. 
What is working behind the scenes? What is the motivating force in our life? And you can see how this is kind of playing out. So all of money that you have in your possession will either have the spirit of mammon on it or the spirit of God on it. Because Jesus says, look, you can't serve two masters. The, the driving force behind your view of even personally how you handle money will either be the spirit of mammon or the spirit of God. You see where this is going? You see how that plays out? There's something behind it. And you're probably thinking, well, I don't want the spirit of mammon on my money. I don't either. You know what? God has provided a way and made a way for you to get your money out from under the spirit of mammon and under the spirit of God. And the Bible talks a lot about this. It talks about the tithe, which is the 10th percent. We can call it the first fruits this morning. That, that's a way that God has provided when we give that to God. He it redeems it in a sense, pulls it out from under the curse of the world and under the blessing of God because we have declared this belongs to you, God. I will put you first. I will not worship this. I will worship you. Obey your word. Put this first. Therefore, that takes me out from under what used to be under the curse of the world system. And, and then your money becomes blessed and protected in a sense. I mean, it can't be devoured by the devourers. It talks about Malachi because now it has the spirit of God on it. And if anything has the spirit of God on it, how in the world can it be devoured? It can't be. Money's protected and blessed. And now all of a sudden it has the ability to multiply. That's what happens under blessing. Anything's under a curse, it's clamped down on. It's eroded. It's taken, it's consumed, yet when you pull it out from under that into a blessing, something happens. So if it doesn't have the, you know, when you, when you give God the first fruits, we can call it that. There's, there's a protection that comes. As a matter of fact, let's read Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, and you'll see how this is much more clearly communicated through the word. It says, well, man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you, have, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So you can see how they were withholding, and there was a curse, and there was a clamping down. There was a lot of bad stuff happening. It says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this. That's the only place in the Bible we're given permission to test God. It's in our giving. Isn't that interesting? Then it goes on to say, says the Lord of hosts, and I will open for you the windows of heaven. That's the blessing. And I will pour out such blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. In other words, your capacity will be overflown. You're, he'll enlarge your ability, yet it's not for you. It's so that you will not be able to contain it because he wants it to flow through you. Ultimately, that's the goal. There's an outflow of resource and life and provision. He says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Wow, he'll even rebuke the, that which would try to consume and take. He says, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fall or fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, now the sowing, which also brings a harvest of crop, but it's not just for you because you can never contain it all. It's for what's going to flow through you. It's so important that we understand that. Now, some might say, well, that's just Old Testament law. Actually, it's not. It's a biblical principle of stewardship that's woven throughout the scriptures, which was established with Abraham 400 years before the law showed up with Moses. So this is something you see in the Old and New Testament woven through the scriptures. 
Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, actually the Jews actually gave somewhere around 23 to 25% of their income consistently through all the different types of givings that they did in the temple. You wonder why did the Jewish Jews are so prosperous and do so well in business and everything. Well, there you go. They're blessed. They, <laughs> you just see it played. It's amazing. But what you find out in the New Testament, though, is that because we've entered relationship with Jesus Christ through relationship, now we're called to grow in the grace of giving. As a matter of fact, it kind of gives you the idea that the tithe was just a starting place now. And now because of grace, which how many know grace is always enlarged in every way, your capacity. Grace pulls the walls off. The, it opens everything up because grace is always vast and huge and abundant. And there's a, there's a sense of now I get to grow in this relationship with my Savior and join him in partnership in the spirit of giving, and I get to even expand in that. That's what grace does. It's really a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you guys, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay a tithe, mint of anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should have ought to have done, you know, you, sh you should have, uh, these you should have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, it's the only place he really commended them for anything. That was for their tithing. But he said, but you left the other stuff undone, faith and mercy and all this other stuff. In other words, he said, you're tithing out of religion, out of your legalism to earn your way and to look good. He says, get rid of all that. Join me in partnership and relationship. Blow the doors off that thing and grow in your faith and mercy and grace. That's what he calls us to, and that's what he's calling them to, but they didn't get it. Jesus said, it's not about that. It's about what I can do through you, and I can expand that. And so here we are. Uh, Jesus calls us to live under his blessing. He has a way of redeeming finance, stewardship, by giving our first fruits. And when we do that, then it's like our worship and service is uninterrupted towards God. There's not this competing thing going on. Our money is blessed and protected. And now, in a sense, we have it, but it doesn't have us. You know that picture of it's just got me. I just feel gripped by this thing. No, it's reversed. And it's in its proper place. You know, Jesus did say in Scripture, he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In other words, throughout the Scriptures, you see how money and riches are tied to heart. So it must be in its proper place. Now, Jesus, he, again, he makes a way for us, for our treasure to no longer function under a curse and under the manipulation of the spirit of mammon. That's good news. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It can't be done. There's no way it can be done. You either serve God and, or the spirit of mammon. But you can't do both. He says you're either going to love one or despise the other. In other words, you'll love one, worship one, serve one, and you'll hate the other. There's one, one, one camp that we can fall into. And, or he says you'll be loyal to one or you'll despise the other. How's that? You ever seen anybody despise God before? I mean, maybe before you came to Christ and knew about biblical stewardship, maybe you've done that. But have you seen anybody where they've lost their job or lost their finances or their stocks bottomed out? Something happened and they were just mad at God. There was a despising that comes in over somebody. 
It happens. It happens all the time. Jesus says you're going to despise one because you've been loyal to another. Now, many of us unknowingly grew up loyal to and serving mammon. And the problem with that is that mammon can never deliver what it promises. Mammon tries to take the place of God. Mammon is in direct contrast to the Spirit of God. Mammon says, for instance, for those who don't believe in God or would call themselves an atheist, they put a lot of confidence and trust in government. They would say, they won't say this, but really government is their God. Why? There's no God to take care of me, so there must be some human institution out there to take care of me, and government becomes a God. Well, I'll tell you something. God takes care of me. Amen? He does. And I place my finances in his hand. Let me tell you some things about mammon. Mammon is looking for servants and worshipers. And mammon promises us everything. It promises um, anything that only God can give us. But that's what mammon does. Mammon promises us security. Oh, if I just had more money, then I'd be secure. Mammon promises us identity. Oh, if I had more money, people would respect me. I'd be more important, right? Um, I'd be more significant. Mammon promises us freedom. Oh, if I just had more money, I could go where I want, whenever I want, however I want. You know, if money promises us happiness. If I just had more money, I'd be happy. And my, you know, if I had more money, my marriage would be good. You know, if I just had more money, people would respect me, right? They'd listen to me. The truth is, only God can give security, and only God can give purpose, and only God can give significance. Only God can give you an identity. Only God can give you love, peace, and joy. Nobody else can deliver up that. I promise you that. Only God. And I find it interesting even that um, in the book of Revelation, the spirit of the Antichrist will not rule through the threat of nuclear war, but it says the spirit of the Antichrist will rule through the threat of not being able to buy or sell without the mark. That's the spirit of Mammon. And Mammon is looking for worshipers. It's looking for people who will serve it and bow to it. And follow it. If you've, I don't know if you ever had the spirit of mammon talk to you. Boy, I have. I still do. To this day, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been growing in stewardship and biblical. I mean, I have held to the, <laughs> I still get this voice. You know, you're getting ready to write your tithes or offerings or give to something in the church building fund or a missionary, you know, and, and you feel this voice go, Mm, not going to have enough. Yeah, you better think about that. What is that? That's the fear of the future. That's Mammon saying, mm, you better serve me. I mean, I didn't say it that way, but you just need to be careful. The arguments begin. You know, that's spiritual warfare. The arguments, right? The, the warfare, the battle. Always trying to get you not to serve God and serve me because I'm really the one that's going to secure your future. Oh, give me a break. God takes care of me. And you got to resist that voice because there's a battle. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to worship? Mammon is trying to take the place of God. Happens all the time. Here's the big lie. Mammon says, boy, if you had more money, you could help more people. You know, I, I'll tell you what helps people. God helps people. You believe that? 
Amen. Jesus never told anybody that the answer to their problem was going to be more money. Never did a blind person, a deaf person, or a prostitute come up to Jesus and say, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And never did Jesus turn around to them and say, You know what? You just need to get some more money. That was never, never even entered his mind. It was never an option. Because if we're being honest, I don't know if you've ever been to this place. Um, you ever thought at some point, boy, I either need God to come through or I just need somebody to give me some money? Because really what we're saying is, um, if I just get some more money, then I don't need God. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. My problems are solved because I got money. And that's functioning under the spirit of mammon. Spirit of mammon. I tell you, it's really strong in America because when you touch the financial system, or the stocks bottom out, or something happens, America is just shaken. People aren't ready to jump out of windows. I mean, that should never be the case because God is above all that, right? Now, um, I know you're asking this question. Well, is money evil? I'm so glad you're asking these good, hard questions this morning. Because all through this Matthew and Luke, we've been reading about this unrighteous mammon. Well, it must be pretty bad if it's unrighteous. Come on. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strafed the faith. And what, what, how did that happen? It says, in their own greediness, right? The sin that came out. And it pierced themselves through many griefs and sorrows. Okay. Um, let me say it another way. The love of money or the service of money or the worship of money or mammon is the root of evil. You can't serve both or worship God and mammon. So the love of money or riches, other than God, becomes this root of evil. Greediness and selfishness, root of all kinds of evil, right? Bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, all comes from loving or serving a false god. The root of evil. You can put do all kinds of stuff. Now, Let's look at another confusing verse here this morning because if you're like me, I used to read this verse, scratch my head, go, I just don't get this. Verse 9 says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, you may receive, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, I didn't get this for a long time. I was confused. I'm thinking... Use your money to do little things for people, and if I do that, then if I have a problem, then they're going to help me because I made a friend. Uh, it kind of makes sense, but uh, it just doesn't seem right. Something seems like something Jesus would say. But there's a key word in here that helps us clear this up, and the word is fail. That when you fail, in other words, that Greek word means when you die, when you expire, when, when, when you die. He's saying that take the unrighteous mammon that has been dedicated to the spirit of this world. He says, you can redeem that by giving God your first fruit. Give, it, give him your first for part. Bring it out from under the control of the cursed world system under his blessing and use it to build the kingdom, right? Use it to make, in other words, friends with your money. In other words, um, when you... When you bring your money out from under the, the world's curse and use it for the kingdom of God to, to win souls, to, for, for the purposes of, of helping people, 
one day when you get to heaven, when you die, it says, not it, but they will, your friends now will, they're going to thank you and celebrate with you and be really excited. And it's going to impact so many people around the world that you don't even know yet until you get to heaven. One day you're going to have people come up to me, remember when you gave? And you're like, oh yeah, thank you, friend. That was amazing. You saved my life. Do you know when you give to missionaries, that happens. There's going to be people that are going to come to you and thank you. I think there's going to be people looking for 14 people who gave to that one missionary so they could go to that village and bring the good news. And they were impacted by it. And they're going to find those 14 people and they're going to say, thank you, friend. And there's going to be all kinds of celebration happening. And that's incredible. So when... When you bring your money under God's blessing and under his rule, you could turn money into souls. Redeemed money produces redeemed lives. And only God can do that. Money is not evil. It's more or less neutral. And you can use it for good or bad in this situation. You can use it for temporal purposes or eternal purposes. People, um, remember when people used to hand out those tracts? I mean, this is back in the 80s. You, you, ever, you may ever read those tracts? They're real cheesy. I mean, they're just like, man, really? I don't think a lot of them got read. I'm not sure how effective they were. I would always see them on the sidewalk or somewhere in a garbage. But if you put a $50 bill or $100 bill in one of those tracks, all of a sudden people are reading them. Hmm, this is, maybe I should read this. There's a $100 bill in it. I was kind of, I'd feel bad if I didn't. You, you ever, like, if you leave a generous tip for a waitress and with a really nice note, Chances are she's going to read that note because the money made such an impact. It's powerful what money can do in persuasion. And it can redeem lives. You can't underestimate that. So what should I do with my money? That's another good question. What should I do? Well, first of all, give God the first part, the first fruits, and then steward it well. Be a really good steward. Uh, this is important. That's worshiping God. That's keeping him first, prioritizing, acknowledging God. First, that's where your resource comes from. And allow your money to serve his purpose. There's a saying out there, uh, you love money and you use people. But if you love people, you'll use money. But there's a lot of truth to that. Now, Maybe you're thinking, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't have a lot of money, so this really doesn't apply to me. Well, here's the deal. If you're not willing to, to steward what you have now, you'll never have enough. Look at the next verse, verse 10. It says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in what? In much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Now, I've discovered that God doesn't give a whole lot until he finds the good steward, no matter how much you have. He gives a little, he sees how it goes. He watches, you grow, he grows you, and then he gives more, and there's a trust principle here, and he's looking for those whom he can trust with resource, and he'll give you more. So you want to steward it well, and then when you do that, he gives more. In the world, there's a saying, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, in the kingdom of God, there's a saying that the poor, well, the rich steward get more and the poor steward don't. 
And you can go to the Matthew 25, read about the talents. It's a great passage that Jesus talked about. And the guy who only got one talent, he didn't do anything with it. He's a really poor steward. He, got, he was just living in fear, tight-fisted. The guy who had 10 talents, man, he's investing it, and then he's growing it tenfold, a hundredfold. It's crazy. And God says, take from the poor, give to the rich steward. Take from the poor steward, give to the rich steward. It's a principle there. You can't bypass it. I can't emphasize this, and emphasize this enough. Give God your first and steward well the rest. Let's look at verse 12 now. Therefore, if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust Commit your trust to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Did you get that last verse? If you've not been faithful with another man's, who will give you your own? In other words, if you're not faithful with God's, then will he give you your own? Well, let's look at this for a minute. Let's, let's back up a minute. Malachi, remember that? He says, if you take it, you're stealing from me. You've pickpocketed God. You got to understand, you only have two choices. The Bible's very clear with a tithe. You give to God or you steal it. Sometimes the scripture is super clear. <laughs> it's like, so here's what God is saying. If you've not been faithful with what's another man's, who will give you your own? Could he be talking about the first part, the tithe? If you've not been faithful with what's mine, then why would I give you the 90% to do with what you want with? Does that kind of make sense? To live under that blessing? Well, let me, just out of my own testimony here. Um, for many years in ministry, gosh, with Lori and I, man, we, I'm telling you, talk about living on fumes. But uh, we, we've been growing in this for a long time. And that's why I don't have every, a lot of people don't like to talk about giving. I've never had a problem. We just live it, and I am happy to talk to people about it so they can join the blessing and allow resource to grow through them. Um, but we've always tithed. I mean, we have always, and we tithe, by the way, we tithed on gross. A lot of people, are you tithe on net or gross? I'm just like, well, do you want a net blessing or do you want a gross blessing? I'm like, it's no brainer to me, man. I tithe on the gross. I don't know. But whatever, wherever people at, it's their faith level and, and they, as long as you take that first step and they can work that out. But that's how we've always done it. And then we've always given the missions and given the above and beyond. But I'm telling you, little kids and braces and house payments and pressures and right to tie, we would do the giving and then we would pay our bills. And, you know, by the time you get to that, you guys know what I'm talking about. You made a house payment and then, you know, this and that. And pretty soon we're looking at a few dollars and we got a week over a week left, you know. Have you ever been there where you got more months than paycheck, you know? And we would go, oh, Jesus, here we go again. And it was always a stress, but it was always a faith journey. And God, I'm telling you, God, always, always, always took care of us. And he always took us to new levels. And it was, I wouldn't change a thing. It was a, it was a real beautiful time. And um, that was kind of how we did. But this is what I struggled with. And maybe you have too. I would, you know, being obedient, doing our giving, and really wanting to bless people. We always had that in us. Um, but after... Sometimes I would, you know, we go do something fun and I feel a little guilty. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't spend money on that. Oh, I wasn't a very good steward. Or, or I would, you know, buy a tool or something, you know, like really need something. And, and later I kind of feel, oh, man, I just feel bad about this. I shouldn't have done this. God, should I have done this? You know, you, guilt, guilt, guilt. That was hell. Let me just tell you, it wasn't God. I remember one time, all these, when I was in California, all these men, 
they wanted to go golfing, and I'd go with them every now and then, but I never had golf clubs. And they're like, you should just get some golf clubs. I'm like, yeah, that's easy to say. So finally, I found a pair on sale, a bucket of them. They weren't anything fancy, but I bought them, and yeah, I got a lot of use out of them. But I felt guilty after buying them. I'm like, oh, man, should I have done this? Lord Jesus, man, you know. And I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it was a bummer way to live. And I finally began to realize, I came into an understanding that when you give God the first part, like we just read in that verse, when you're faithful what he's given you and you've been generous, will he not give you your own? Will he not what you have left? Can you not? Can you just relax in that without guilt? Of course you can. God never puts guilt and condemnation on us. That's from hell. That's living in a, in a, in a warped mindset I had to be delivered from. It's like, no, he also wants you to enjoy. He wants, God says he gives us all things for our enjoyment. And he wants you to enjoy, not labor under that kind of stuff. He says, here it is, I've given it to you. You've been faithful, now enjoy. There wasn't a whole lot left over to enjoy at times. But he didn't want me to live under guilt. And you can be generous and grow in the grace of giving. I want to make something really clear here, though. You give to give. Get that? You give to grow in the grace of giving. Look, I've heard a lot of preaching and different preachers preach, give to get, give to get. And inside, I'm just thinking, man, that just is messed up. That ain't right. I just don't see how that works. It's that the priority is wrong. You know, you don't get to greed. I mean, what, what kind of messed up? You give to give. You give like the Bible says in the New Testament so you can grow in the grace of giving. So you can expand your ability to give and pour out and let God pour through you. <clears throat> too. And yes, it does increase your standard of living over time. But the result, that's just a result of your generosity. It's a byproduct of your giving, of living in the blessing. Let me tell you, when you have been brought out from under a cursed system and you come under the blessings of God, there is just an outflow of goodness that God pours out. He can't help it. He's a generous God. He loves his kids and he loves to bless when you're obedient and growing. And just there's something that just happens and it's like, ah, it just happens. But it's not your goal. Your goal is so I can keep giving. I can grow in the grace of giving. and I can expand my ability. And there's nothing more fun and adventurous than that. But he wants you to enjoy it. You can live in a nice home and you can have a good sound running car. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a result of being generous and living under his blessing. There's a scripture verse I saw the other day. I thought I need to write this down. Proverbs 11, 24. It says this. Generosity, that's a person who's giving, brings prosperity. But withholding from charity brings poverty. So you can see there's a natural byproduct that happens. I just want to make that clear. But God says, you've been faithful with what's mine. I'll give you what's your own. Keep being a blessing, but don't live under guilt. Enjoy. And let that splash over people all around you. It belongs to God. Yes, it does. So we steward it well, and he blesses his faithful. Now there's one more verse here that I want to clarify as we kind of get ready to land this plane. Verse 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit you to trust? Who will commit to you, to your trust, true riches? True riches. What, what are the true riches? You ever wondered? What, what are those? 
I think I know what it is. I think true riches are people because people last forever. Would you agree? Of course. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross. That joy was you and I. He wanted to bring you and I into his family. That was his true goal in rich in life, riches in life. And that should be ours. The only thing you're going to take to heaven is your character and people. Everything else that we have here for your enjoyment, one day you'll leave it behind, and one day it'll get burned up. Trophies will be trashed. It'll all be gone. It'll all be about us and all of us here. Look around. You can say, you know, we're all going to be in heaven together. We might even be neighbors. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something. So those treasures, Jesus says, whenever you give, he says, given it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's an overflowing. There's a pressing into your lap and then an overflowing. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, when thieves were breaking and steal, but store up yourselves, right, treasures in heaven, not on earth, in heaven treasures in heaven. So somehow, when we give, we're, we're storing up something in heaven. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I know when I give, I, I thank the Lord that I'm sending it ahead. And it'll probably translate a lot of it into souls. Treasures. The greatest treasure. I'll have the worship team come out. <clears throat> so the one thing that's going to make it to heaven, the only thing is just, it's people, it's souls. So he's saying, in a sense, if you can't handle money, why would God give us people to steward? You know, one of the reasons why Church on, I believe Church on the Rock with all four campuses is so growing and so successful and so we out, preach the gospel, we reach out a lot, but we give a lot. We're a very generous church. We give easily every year probably over a million dollars in missions alone. That's souls. Let me tell you, God says, you keep doing that and I'll entrust you with more souls. There's something about somebody of character and integrity that handles their finance, stewards it well, is extremely generous, gives God their first part. They're, you just, just watch it happen. Influence grows. Influence grows. And I believe God wants us to be stewarding people, and we should be stewarding people. We should be mentoring people, helping people, leading groups, volunteering. We should be serving those around us. And God wants that to increase in our lives. But with your influence to increase with people, I believe that's where the groundwork happens. The groundwork happens in stewardship, good stewardship, giving God the first part. And there's something in that that allows for influence to grow and significance to happen. Does that make sense? People looked at that and they go, they know, they could, they, could, they could spot it. They go, I just trust you. I just trust you. It's a real test. Because Jesus said, no one can serve both. You'll have to pick. Makes more sense now, doesn't it? I choose Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.